We're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 14, and we're going to pick up where we left off last week, but we're only going to be looking at three short verses, um, verses 15 to verse 18. Um, as you recall, we left them on the edge of the Red Sea last week, um, where Moses told them just to basically chill out, relax, take a deep breath. God's got this under control. But then the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots, his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated as we go into prayer this morning. Father, we come before you this morning and we just ask that you would open up your word that you would allow your Holy Spirit to speak to us as we take a look at the second half of this crisis moment for your people, very young in their faith, very inexperienced in the things that you were trying to show them. Help us to draw out of this, this second part of the crossing. Help us to draw out of this, Lord, what it is we all need to learn as your people. Make our hearts tender towards your spirit and towards your word. And may this find us where we need to be found in whatever situation we are in in our lives, whatever moment we are struggling with, whatever that may be for each and every one of us here this morning. You know what it is. You know what it is. So I pray that your Holy Spirit, even now, would begin to do that work that is necessary, that you would make our hearts tender and soft towards you. Father, as we go into the word this morning, I want to remember Flossie's family as they just continue with different issues. I pray your peace and your strength and your blessing be upon Flossie and upon her family, upon Rose and Kenny, upon Mary and um, everybody else in, in that family. I pray that your hands would be upon them, that you would watch over them, that you would give wisdom and you would give peace and you would give strength, Lord. For Taj, most especially this morning, Father, that you would just... Um, Bring healing to his body as he is on the tail end of his chemo treatment and he is in a lot of pain. And pray, Father, that you would just alleviate that pain, that you would uh, help the doctors figure out a way in which to do that, that you would encourage him, that you would strengthen not only his physical body, Lord, but his spirit as well, and that you would encourage Patty and that you would watch over both of them, Father. We lift them up to you. For Dave Barton and his entire family as they continue to grieve the loss of his dad last week, we pray for traveling mercies for Andy as he heads down to that funeral. We pray that you would just watch over he and you would bring comfort to that whole family. Lord, in the midst of grieving and of loss, remind us that we are not people who grieve without hope. But we know in whom we have placed our trust and you are trustworthy. And we are thankful for that, Lord. For everybody who serves in the military, from Brady to Zach to John to Matt and all of those folks who are wearing the uniform of this great country. Watch over them, Lord. Bless them and bless their families. Encourage them when they're separated from their loved ones. Encourage their families. Watch over them, Lord. I pray your peace be upon their hearts with whatever it is they have before them. And that you would remind them, Lord, that we are a grateful nation and a grateful people for them stepping into that role to which you have called them to. We thank you, Lord, and we pray that you open up your word now and that you would settle our hearts before you. I ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay. 
How's everybody? It's nice to look out at everyone this morning and look out the window and see a nice sunshine. That's for sure. I want you to, before we even get into the word, I, I was going over the sermon this morning and this just kept sticking in my mind over and over and over again. And I think it's important to just share with you. And if you take notes and you write something down, this might be something um, worth writing down as we move forward in this message. When we focus on the wrong things, we end up fighting the wrong things. Seems simple, but it's a very profound thing. When we focus on the wrong things, we end up fighting the wrong things. And then we end up in a place that we ought not to end up. And I think as we investigate this story this morning, we will discover and find that that in part is what was the issue with the people of Israel along the edge of the Red Sea. Um, As we take a look at the crossing part two, what I want us primarily to focus on this morning is that faith is a journey forward. We're going to be wrapping up this series for the most part today, but we're going to be visiting it all year. But faith is a journey forward, forward to things unseen as well as forward to things hoped for. That's what faith is. The Red Sea moment for the people of Israel points forward Not only to them as a nation, but it points forward to the cross of Jesus. It points forward to the act that he did there. The atonement work of the cross. Where he crossed over the sea, as it were, from death to life. In order that we may have life everlasting. Therefore. So if you remember last week, we left the people of God at the edge of the Red Sea. Confronted with absolutely no options. They had the... Egyptian army coming over the top of the hill on one side, and they had a big puddle on the other side that they were having a hard time navigating. We also discovered, as awkward and uncomfortable and as bad as it may seem, God tends to care very little about our comfort. He cares a great deal about our obedience in the midst of situations. He cares very little about our comfort. And that's not even an easy thing for me to say because I don't like it. I want him to care a great deal about my comfort because I care a great deal about my comfort. But it it, it just doesn't show it in Scripture that he always cares a great deal about our comfort. What he cares about very deeply is our obedience. And in that obedience, he protects us and watches over us and takes care of us, most especially if we are obedient to do the things he calls us to. Because we have the people of Israel now standing on the edge of the Red Sea and Pharaoh and his army have crested the hill And they begin to do what any group of human beings assembled do in a crisis moment. They promptly forget their God. They begin to grumble and complain. They forget the faithfulness that he has shown himself to have through each and every one of their circumstances. And they turn around and they attack the leader who has brought them this far. The one who has led them out of Egypt. After all, when it hits the fan and everything gets uncomfortable, somebody has to take the blame. Somebody has to take the blame. Somebody has to catch the brunt of my uneasiness and of your uneasiness in the midst of whatever situation we've been put in. Because we begin to feel greatly unsettled, and we don't like that. We don't like that. Faith, as we have discovered over these last few weeks, is a very difficult thing. It's one of the hardest things to grow in as we walk in the Christian life. In fact, it probably is the hardest thing that we need to grow in, in our Christian life. And it's no shock at all that God's people panic as they do right here along the edge of the Red Sea. Because every single human being in that same situation 
is either lying to themselves when they say they wouldn't panic or has never been in a situation where that would happen. Every one of us would do exactly the same thing. We would panic in a moment like this. We wouldn't have any idea what to do. It doesn't matter what God has done in the past. It would unsettle us which is why communion with God is so very important and having good community with other believers is essential whenever you cross over into a place of discomfort. We are not meant to do these things alone. We are not meant to do these things alone. For 430 years, as we recall, if we read the Exodus story, they have lived and they have functioned in a particular way as the people of Israel in Egypt. They've had their daily routines where they get up every morning, they do exactly what they're told. They've got their settled chores and all of their provisions provided for them by, by the Pharaoh and all of the people of Egypt. But they weren't free. They weren't a free people. They were tended to and they were taken care of, but they were slaves of a system in Egypt. And even though it wasn't the greatest setup for them, for 430 years, this was all they knew. And that's where their comfort was because it was all they had ever known. So to even change a very bad situation for a people who know nothing but that situation will cause discomfort in an unsettled heart. That's the way we operate. So to be out in the middle of the desert, now up against the Red Sea, and having the Egyptian army pressing down the hill at them, it seems like certain death, what's the first thing they do? They panic. Their newfound faith in God and in this Moses who's been leading them for however long it's been through the plagues and everything is being tested right off the bat. Right off the bat at the beginning of their new journey out into the desert. And as with any human being, they begin to struggle and they begin to fail in how it is they're handling this situation. I find encouragement in that because that means I'm not alone when I have these issues myself. And I want you to find encouragement in that as well. And there's a reason why it is they're doing this. And we've learned this over the last few weeks. They are doing this because they're letting their circumstance that they are in and the feelings that they are getting by being completely helpless dictate and rule how it is they are responding to what God has got them to do. And that's something that the Apostle Paul knew all too well in his life and in his ministry. And he would do everything that he could to teach the early Christian church that even though we have feelings, we have to make sure that we are controlling those feelings in a way that honors God and brings glory to him. Because he knew all too well about how hard it would be to live a life that we are called to live. We're not supposed to live based upon our feelings that are dictated by the circumstances we find ourselves in. A life of faith is one that looks forward to the future hope and promises of God. doesn't matter what circumstances you're in. A life of faith is one that looks forward to the future hope and promises of God. Never let your current situation or your circumstances dictate the truths of God. Never let that happen. You see, there's a verse that's often quoted by Paul, and honestly, I find it pastorally to be misapplied more often than it is actually applied correctly because we don't ever really look at the overall context of that verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's an awesome verse. We quote it all the time. Why? Because it's an awesome verse. But the problem is, is that Paul is writing about a crisis moment. Paul isn't writing about comfort. He's in a crisis moment. He's writing from prison to the church in Philippi, encouraging them. 
So this entire letter, this letter of joy, is written out of a crisis moment. He's toward the end of his life. He's toward the end of his journey. Having spent the better part of his Christian walk in suffering, in prison, and in beatings, and all of that stuff for the cause of Christ. And now he finds himself in prison. He's no way, at any level, a deluded, pie-in-the-sky kind of guy pretending like all of these negative things don't happen. He's very well aware of the facts of what has happened in his life. But his faith is in God, never in his feelings or in the circumstances that he finds himself in. If Paul had gone based upon how he felt, he probably would have spent the balance of his life killing Christians. If Paul had let the circumstances he found himself in after he followed Christ to dictate how he operated, we probably wouldn't have the New Testament in the 13 letters that he left for us. But his feelings and his circumstances, he never allowed to dictate his faith in God. It's not that he pretended, it's just that he responded and lived in a way that manifested the power and the infilling and the anointing of God's Holy Spirit. You see, he chose He chose, in other words, he made the decision that he would not let how he felt or what his situation was to dictate who God is. And that's how Paul functioned. That's a conscious act of the will that each one of us need to be challenged to understand. A conscious act of the will. We can and do choose either to be this way, that the Apostle Paul was like, or to be driven by our feelings. And once again, that draws me back to what I open with. When we focus on the wrong things, we end up fighting against the wrong things. And that's what the enemy loves, to get us off track and doing things that we ought not to do. See, Paul says in the midst of all of this, this is the passage, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So there's a functional action on our part. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, Paul continues, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. I know those things. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now the verse comes in. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This dude's in prison. Understanding that no matter what his life looks like, I can and will do everything when Christ strengthens me. The right focus on the right things, whatever is honorable, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. Think on these things. You see, the first time Paul was put in jail was in the city of Philippi. He had the snot beaten out of him. He was chucked in jail because of the providence of God. The jailer was saved. Now, most of us would look at being thrown in jail at that moment in time, and we would think, what? What did I do to deserve this? Paul and Silas are in the deep catacombs of that jail cell doing what? Singing. 
You go back into Acts 15 or 16, I think it is. They're singing. Earthquake shows up. He's freed. The prisoners don't escape. He goes and he witnesses to the jailer. The jailer gets saved. His whole family gets saved. They get baptized. Why? Because he's focused on the right things. He's not angry that he's in a wrong situation. His faith was strengthened through those things as opposed to weakened. He trusted God no matter what. And he was obedient to the call, even when that meant God's will be that he be in prison. See, he stood on the faith that being surrounded by such great examples, as the writer to Hebrews tells us in chapter 11, that he would live that life of faith at any and all cost. As the song said this morning, it's all about you, Jesus. It's not about me. It's all about you. So we find ourselves again in a place of great discomfort, right? Smack along the edge of the Red Sea in absolute panic. Because human beings are involved, that's what happens. After having been scolded by those who had followed him to that point and being accused of setting them up for certain death, Moses is confronted with a faith challenge of his own. Right here on the edge of the Red Sea, remembering here that they are right where God wants them to be. Remember, last week we learned verses 1 through 4. This was God's plan all along. This is right where I want you to be. It's not the best place, but this is where I want you to be. So the safest place to be is smack dab in the middle of God's will, even if it's in the worst place in the world to be. As bizarre as that sounds, I'll let, leave that to you to figure out. I don't want you to forget that this morning, that they are exactly where God wants them to be. And it's not uncommon to shoot the messenger, as it were, when things tend to get a little bit uncomfortable. How many of you have done that? Get all upset, you get unsettled, and you just attack the first person that you can because it, that's what we do. So Moses takes the hit and having been roundly slammed by all of these people who remember, if you read back in Exodus, they've been delivered. He turns and he tells the people three things. Starting in verse 13, he says this, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. So there's nothing that they can do. They just need to do what they're told. Obedience, fear not, stand firm, see the salvation of the Lord. Why? Because the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. In other words, shut up. Stop the jibber-jabbering and, and the accusing and the panic and the fight and all of that nonsense. Fear not. Communion with God. Trust that the God who brought you here and said this is exactly where you were supposed to be, you are where you need to be. Don't worry about it. Fear not. Communion with God. Stand firm. Don't scatter like a bunch of crazy ants. Stand firm. Why? Because together, as one community, we are better. The Christian life is not meant to be lived alone. Not ever. If you don't feel you need to be in community and in church with people on the Lord's day, you are wrong. Do I need to be clearer? You are wrong. Because the Bible tells us community is where we need to be. Even the writer to Hebrews says that. But that's for another time because I'm running out of time. And then third, he says, watch God act on your behalf. So we fear not. Which means we don't worry. No matter what situation we're in, we don't worry. So we have to fight that urge to worry. And we stand firm, which means if we know we are where God has us to be, we plan our feet and we don't move until he tells us to move. 
Why? Because we are where he tells us to be. And then when we do those things, we sit back and we watch him act on our behalf. That's the biblical pattern. That's why these people are being told what they're told. Because today is the last day you will ever see the Egyptian army. My purposes and my glory are going to be seen through this whole thing. He was reminding them, Moses was, that it is God who has put them in this place. And that ought to settle them and not panic them. How quickly we forget. If God has put you somewhere, let that settle you. Don't let that panic you. So what he's doing is, as a good leader, he's refocusing them on what? The things they should be focused on. In other words, while all about them are losing their minds, he's keeping his head about himself. Patiently refocusing the people on the facts and away from how they feel. Listen, God has you here. Stand still and be quiet and watch him act. Those are the facts. I understand you don't feel very good about this whole situation, but this is what you're supposed to do. Don't be afraid. So it's a beautiful thing about the Puritan writers when they say that God's providence is a soft pillow in which we can put our head on. That's a beautiful thing. If we are in God's providence and we know that he has got us to be where we're supposed to be, that should settle us in such a way instead of making us anxious. Never forget that. Because sometimes God's providence puts us on the edge of the Red Sea with the Egyptian army pressing against us one way. And if we aren't confident in God and having faith that in his providence it is perfect, then we will panic and we will lose focus. And we will begin to argue about things that we shouldn't argue about. We will focus on things that are unimportant and not on the things that God has us to do. God's purposes here was to deliver his people and deliver justice to a hard-hearted king. That's what's going on here. My people are going to be free, and Pharaoh's going to get what's coming to him. And he's going to do that through his faithful and obedient people. He could do it any way he wants, but he's going to do it through his faithful and obedient people. He's going to grow them. They don't need to fear, rather stand firm. They would have to decide here to look beyond their circumstances and their present capacity and abilities and trust that God who promised them would take care of them would actually take care of them. And that's a challenge for each and every one of you. Wherever you find yourself, Whatever you're struggling with, whether it be family, whether it be personal, whether it be your job, whether it be other people in your life, can you trust that God will help you beyond your present capacity and your abilities to deal with the issues that you're dealing with? See, ultimately, faith is what? It's a trust issue. Do we trust that God is who he promises? He says he is. It's always a hard thing for us because we're self-sufficient. We're very resilient people. Man, we're New Englanders. It's what we are. I don't know if that's a good thing. I don't think it's a bad thing. But anyway, it's very hard for us to focus on these things. We tend to pray God's blessings over our capacities. Now, what I mean by that is I will pray for God's blessings over what I am capable of doing because I'm comfortable in that. We all do that. Forgetting, however, that as the song also said this morning, the very breath that I take is a gift from God. Me putting my feet on the floor and into my slippers in the morning is a blessing and a gift from God. 
Faith is found when we learn to be silent in the chaos of life and learn to listen and watch for God to act on our behalf. Faith is found when we learn to be silent in the chaos of life and learn to listen and watch for God to act on our behalf because God always does. He always does. Every time. Don't be afraid, stand firm, and be quiet. Now comes the unsettling piece for me in this particular passage because as I was studying and I wrestled through this all week long, verse 15 kept sticking in my brain over and over and over again. The Lord said to Moses, found it kind of odd, found it kind of weird, why do you cry to me? Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Now Moses tells the people to be silent and watch God deliver them. Don't fear, okay? But then God turns around and says to Moses, why are you whining at me? Why are you crying at me? And that caused me to think, caused me to wonder a little bit. Did Moses perhaps have a wee bit of an issue himself? Did he then turn around in his fear and his uneasiness, begin to grumble under his breath to God, not just about the situation, but also about the people that he was serving? Did he begin to sputter, hey God, you know, I got him where you wanted him to be. We got him all lined up. You might want to do something about now would be good. (laughs) Is that what's going on? I don't know. But you see, there it is right in the text of scripture. There it is. Stop your crying and tell the people to move forward, Moses. So for me as a leader, I want to be very, very careful to see these things in the scriptures. And I want you to see them as well because there's a lesson to be learned here. Moses is absolutely so far from perfect as we all know. He's already a murderer, okay? And he's a little bit temper dysfunctional, however you want to call that. And we have to remember that. God uses broken people. Why? Because Moses is a leader, it seems to me, is struggling a great deal with the same concerns as his people. But he is leading his people nonetheless. And he's leading them in the way that God has called them to lead, even though he is uneasy on the inside. In the midst of change, the assumption is that anybody who leads, pastors especially, are completely impervious and oblivious to all of the unsettledness and uneasiness of the faith journey. That we just don't have any issue with change, that we don't have any issue with anything, that it's very easy and that we're never rattled and we never experience struggle, we never experience doubt. And I'm here to tell you that that could not be farther from the truth. Pastors especially. We experience doubt. We experience fear as well as frustration, as well as aggravation. All the same things. We experience all of those things just as anyone would. That's why it is imperative for you as this congregation to pray for your pastor. Every day. Every single day. I can't function without people praying for me. I can't function without praying myself. The healthiest congregations are those who pray diligently for their pastor, seeking to be helpful and covering them in prayer instead of being a hindrance. I spend a great deal of time in prayer for every one of you, and I know that a good many of you have personally told me that you spend a lot of time praying for me. And I feel that. And I know that to be true. Being called as a pastor, your pastor specifically, means that your well-being, spiritually, your obedience to the call of God on your life, our obedience as a congregation of people, as much as it depends on me, 
is my responsibility before God. And that frightens me far more than anybody's in opinion in this room of me and who I am. Because I have to give an answer for the things that God charges me to do, just as you have to give an answer. So it is unsettling. It is frightening. And that means at times moving through change and going forward when perhaps it doesn't feel all that comfortable. When perhaps even you are uncomfortable with it. Don't ever think for a minute that we as elders and myself as a pastor when we get together aren't a wee bit uneasy. We're human beings. We have just been called of God to lead. And we have to be faithful to do so because if that is what God has called us to, I then as the pastor have to lead us in that direction. And building into the next generation, looking how it is we can reach the next generation so that we aren't terminal, as it were. We are leading into legacy so that 60, 70, 80 years from now, I'm nothing but a blip on the map. Be faithful, live your life, die, be forgotten. I think that's Spurgeon. Kind of morbid, but there you have it. That's the goal. Build legacy into the next generation. Leading through change. Big change isn't always the smoothest of tasks. And as we see here with Moses, it requires absolute faith and obedience, just like the people he is leading himself in massive amounts of prayer covering. Not the grumbling that we see here that comes so naturally amongst us as human beings. And it seems in verse 15, the leader as well. He's not oblivious or he's not uh, immune as it were, I'm sorry. He's not immune to the grumbling. If he wasn't careful, he would have been unhelpful to the situation. So here we have it, nonetheless, it's time to move forward, as Moses would say, into the new life that God has called you to. It's time to see the hand of God move in a way that will help you remember the past and at the same time, close the door to ever going back to Egypt. We don't go back. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell us we can go back. There's nothing there for us. The faith journey, as we have learned from Hebrews 11 over these last five weeks, is one of going forward, never back. Tell the people of Israel, the Lord says to Moses, to go forward, starting in verse 15. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, the people of Israel, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground, and I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots, his horsemen, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. It's never about us. It is never about us. It is always about bringing glory to the one who died for us. We are his people for his world. And there are a ton of people who don't have any idea who Jesus is. It's not about us. It's not about us. Our faith journey is one that takes us away from ourselves. That's what makes it so uncomfortable. It takes us away from our pride. It takes us away from our selfishness, our arrogance, our flesh, all of those lovely things that sometimes we like to revel in because it makes us comfortable. And it moves us towards Christ and God the Father. That's the faith journey that we have. His desire is to make us truly human in and through what Jesus did for us on the cross. See, the problem with Adam and Eve that we learned was that they decided they wanted to be their own gods. The one thing you can't have, we want. And we've had that problem ever since. Give me a million things, and the million and first thing that you tell me I can't have, that's what I want. 
that is away from God and into an idolatrous functioning relationship with the world. That's not what we're called to. You see, Jesus is our absolute example, and he's our protector. Hebrews 12 starts with the therefore, and we have spent the last five weeks discovering exactly what that therefore is there for. That's what we've been doing. We come out of chapter 10. If you remember, I told you, I hope you do. Humor me, you know, feed my ego a little bit, please. We came out of chapter 10 with the understanding that we would be persecuted and that we are not people who turn around and run away. In other words, that's my translation. We stand our ground because of who is in us, okay? Chapter 11 then gives us all of these people who stood their ground, never having received what God had promised for them, not once, but they did what they were supposed to do. In the midst of all of this trouble, in the midst of all of these struggles, they did what they were supposed to do. Chapter 12 then launches this way, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter or the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured what? The cross. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Chapter 10 tells us you're going to suffer, but you're not people who turn around and run away. Chapter 11 tells us all about the people who chapter 10 was defining. Chapter 12 tells us because of them, this is what we are to do as his people. This is how you're going to engage the world. This is how we move forward as a people. As uncomfortable as it is, this, this worship center doesn't look like it did a year ago. The rest of the building after 2017 won't look like it does. We're going to continue moving forward. Why? Because we're building into the next generation. Do we want to go back? I don't. It's frightening. We have to celebrate the past. And we have to honor the past. But we have to understand that God calls us forward. See, the Red Sea Road, a song by Ellie Holcomb, who Jake tells me I keep confusing him, throwing him all these songs from this album. It's an awesome album. If you don't have it, buy it. Anyway. There's a song that she wrote on there called The Red Sea Road, and the chorus goes like this. We will sing to our souls. We won't bury our hope. Where he leads us to go, there's a Red Sea Road. When we can't see the way, he will part the waves. And we'll never walk alone down that Red Sea Road. Now, that's a powerful truth. You see, the people of Israel ultimately were a people of faith. They were a people who would trust God, although they go weird every once in a while, but, you know, they're human beings. But they were a people of faith. Because by faith, they passed through the Red Sea on dry ground. By faith, they believed that God would hold that water back. By faith, they stepped in because they believed that God would do just as he said he would do. That's our challenge. It's no different today. They had to trust that in that moment when it looked like certain doom, a big sea on one side, an entire army on the other, that God is faithful. Surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses, we are to lay aside all the weights of this world the sin that entangles us and keeps us where we are, arguing with each other, fighting with one another, trying to figure out how it is we're supposed to do this, that, and the other thing, all of that stuff, we are to lay it aside 
It keeps us where we are on the wrong side of the Red Sea. It's a problem with humanity. Humanity as a whole puts Jesus off to the side, says we want nothing to do with that nonsense. They're on the wrong side of the Red Sea. Our job as people who are called of God is to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, and help them understand that if you trust, God will bring you. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. So what was that joy as we come to a close here this morning? What was that joy? The joy was that God the Father was and is faithful to bring to pass all that he promised. That was the joy that was set before Jesus. Jesus knew that the cross would end in victory. As ugly as it was, as violent as it was, and as hard as it was for him, he knew that that would end in victory, but that victory was through death. Literally living out this exodus moment for us and for the people of Israel, we have now been freed from the bonds of sin as much as they were free from the bonds of slavery. And that is the example that we have. They went through the Red Sea, entering on one side as slaves of Egypt, entering out the other side or leaving the other side as the free people of God. As the free people of God. The sea was then what? Closed. Never to be opened again. We don't go back. That's Hebrews chapter 10. We don't go back. It's not what God has called us to. God has called us forward. Our faith journey, as with all of these heroes of old, is looking forward to a city to come, a kingdom to inhabit, and a king to worship. I gotta have the worship team. You see... We look forward the way we do. We're just going to close in one last song and I'm going to ask those who are willing to pray with people to just find your spots. We live the way we do. We should be encouraged as we should be encouraged through the scripture because of what Jesus did on the cross. The fact that he walked that road. The fact that he passed from death to life, that we may live and be his people for this world. Our duty and our job is to occupy until Jesus comes back. That's our call, to occupy until he comes back. I've been here two and a half years. Some of you are thinking, wow, <laughs> that long already? Some of you are going, oh, wow, that was quick. That's okay. Faith moves forward, it never moves back. Faith stretches us beyond our present capacity and faith grows us and conforms us in the image of our King. For two and a half years, we've moved forward. We've made changes. It's unsettling. I know that. Lisa and I were talking on the way down and I have people ask me on a regular basis, why didn't you just stay at Church of the Rock? You've been there 30 years. You've been there full time, eight, nine, ten years. Why don't you just stay there? It seemed like a gimme that you were just going to step in that place. Because that's not what I was called to do. My duty is obedience to him who calls me. As unsettling as that is, as uncomfortable as that can be, 
as frightening at times as that can be, each and every one of us are challenged in exactly the same way. Now, as a community of believers, as we continue to grow forward in how it is we engage a community, how it is we reach out to people, requires the way in which we operate to be different than the way we've always operated. The message never changes. The message never changes. It is only in and through Jesus that we will ever see the other side of glory. But how we engage, how we approach, how we grow forward building that legacy is not a backward move. It's a forward move. And it's as frightening for me as it probably is for everybody else here, most especially for those of you folks who have been here for 30, 40 years. But what I want, my heart tells me, the challenge that we have as Christians is to build legacy. I'm not here to get myself comfortably to retirement. My job is to build legacy, to try and reach a people for Jesus in a world that it is painfully obvious has gone completely sideways and has absolutely no idea what end is up challenge is not if God is calling you to that but what is he calling you to do in that let's stand